It's time for another episode of Tucson Means Business, featuring Tucson's top entrepreneurs and leaders in the business world. And now your host, Mark Bishop. And welcome to another Tucson Means Business. And of course, with everything going on at the moment, we're all having to improvise in doing business. And some a little more than others, some unfortunately are closed, cannot conduct business in a normal manner due to many circumstances, but uh, mainly because we're, you know, the socializing factor, but we go on. And Tucson Means Business is about, uh, with the compliments uh, of the 49ers Golf and Country Club, talking to people who are in business and what they're doing today, how they're surviving, what they're normally doing and what they're doing in a way when this is on. And I'm referring in this case to the owner president of the Jacobson Coaching Group. Uh, his name is Troy Jacobson. Uh, welcome, Troy. Hello. Thanks for having me. You're most welcome, my friend. Um, uh, professional business is what you do run. And it's interesting with your background, how you got to it. I mean, you're a former professional Ironman triathlete, right? <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah, there you go. And you became an entrepreneur back in 92, uh, opening up your uh, coaching business called Fax a Coach. Uh, not uh, that has an interesting ring to it, mate. What on earth is Fax a Coach? Tell us. <laughs> Do you remember fax machines back in the day? Um, yeah, so back then it was a uh, triathlon was a fairly young sport, and I got into it in the late '80s. Um, but always had an entrepreneurial spirit, probably due to my parents, my father in particular. And I just uh, I, I was in the out east. I was in the Mid Atlantic region in the D.C. Maryland corridor, and at that time, racing well. And young guy just out of college and people would come up to me and ask me about training. Hmm. They would ask me how I rode my bike so fast. So it just made sense to maybe charge for my advice. And uh, <laughs> I started building a clientele locally. And then people heard about me around the country. And all of a sudden I was faxing people training schedules for triathlon training and cycling and uh, named my little company Faxacoach and things just started to take off from there. Isn't that amazing? Talk about a natural beginning. Um, you know, it comes under the banner of uh, a natural niche, doesn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. I, and and interestingly, like a lot of things, I fell into it. I didn't I didn't realize it would become something significant. Just fell into it because I was in the right place at the right time, and I guess had enough sense to take advantage of that opportunity. The the Ironman triathlete thing, I mean, I've never participated personally, although I did play sports. I was relatively fit when I was younger, but when I watch them on television, by gee, um, you must train all year for something like that, virtually every day. Would that be the case? That is the case, yes. If you're into the sport, you're dedicated to your training, and it depends on which level you'll be racing at. Um, at the time, I was a professional, which means I had sponsors and was able to race at the highest level and commit the most time. But uh, the the average age demographic, inter interestingly enough, um, the the most people that participate are in the are 40 and above. So it's an interesting age demographic. A lot of professional people do Ironman racing, 
and they find time to squeeze in their cycling, running, and swim training in a busy work and and uh, personal schedule. Mm. Interesting. Well, it's interesting that you say that. I remember years ago, uh, I was interviewing our Ironman champion a few times. He was champion in Australia by the name of Grant Kenny. I don't know if you ever came across him or not, but uh, they were the days, you know, were not as big as America. So consequently, for those guys, they didn't get much sponsorship <laughs> in those early days. So it was very difficult for them to keep a full-time job and train, um, you know, and be able to do what they do. But, of course, now, these days... Um, they get national sponsorship and so on. So pretty good, really. I mean, you, you could ride a bike part of it, but in a triathlon, aren't there, you know, three or four different things you've got to do? Right. Well, the format, the traditional format is swim, bike, run. And the Ironman distance is the long, it's called the ultra distance. And that's a 2.4 mile swim, 112 mile bike, and then a 26 mile run or marathon at the end of the race. Well, is the obvious question, is there a favorite out of those three things you've got to do? (laughs) Well, for me, it's always been the bike. It's always been my favorite. Um, Swimming, not so much. Never grew up as a swimmer. Um, So I had a little bit of a deficit there out of the water. Cycling was my favorite sport. And then running was a second favorite. But in the triathlon, obviously, the running piece is at the end. So the fatigue sets in. That's when your world starts falling apart. So that's a really difficult leg for everybody, everyone. Mm, I bet you it would be. And uh, it's it's a lot of rubbish, isn't it? The uh, myth about you having to be a six foot four, massive, uh, strong person. Um, I wouldn't uh, imagine that you fit that bill because there's a lot of guys do well in it with medium bills. But what, what part do you think that they've worked on the most? I mean, is it durability? Is it sustainability? In, in this particular, you know, field, the triathlon field? Yes, it's an endurance sport. So actually, weight-to-weight, strength-to-weight ratio is very important. So you do find that athletes try to reach their lightest weight where they have the most strength and power. So that way they're able to move their bodies more effectively under the force of gravity. So heavier athletes actually tend to do um, a little worse or have some difficulties. The other thing of note with triathlon and actually really long distance sports is how popular um, it is not only among men, but also among women and how competitive women are, even in relation to the men. In many races, you'll see uh, the top women actually beating a lot of the top men. So it's a really interesting sport in that regard, too, as an endurance sport. The reason, Troy, I'm spending time on this is I want to, my listeners to understand what we're going to be talking about, how this possibly, you know, sets you up for the rest of your life in the way of discipline and the way of training and just, uh, well, generically, your attitude to life, you know, because that's an important thing. And I am speaking with uh, Troy Jacobson, uh, who uh, was a professional um, Ironman uh, triathlete. Uh, that's no easy feat. So... Uh, you got known, you became, you know, pretty good at what you did. And next minute, all of a sudden, there's dudes all over the country and dudettes saying, gee, how do you do that leg so fast, well, so well with your bike? Can you coach us? Yeah, pretty much. Well, yes. And back in those days, the endurance sports coach was not really a career path, being an endurance sports coach back in the early 90s. So, um, again, I was fortunate to be at the starting edge of that spear, I guess you could say the pointy edge of the spear. 
1996, was invited to be part of the USA Triathlon Coaches Committee, which was the uh, committee under the USA Triathlon umbrella, which is under the U.S. Olympic Committee umbrella, Wow! which mm. started the coaching certification program. So all of a sudden, triathlon coaching became an actual viable career opportunity for, for um, you know, not only athletes, but people with degrees in exercise physiology, kinesiology, and it became more of a serious endeavor hmm. where people could actually make a living. Well, after achieving success in that challenge, you actually moved into um, cycling workout video production in the mid-90s, and um, you created the international leader in the category of what they call spinnable cycling. Is that, is that the correct pronunciation, spinnables? Spinnables, yep. Spinnable cycling. Tell us about that, Troy. Sure. So Spinnervals was a uh, indoor cycling workout virtual series that we created starting with VHS back in the mid nineties. Mm-hmm. VHS, remember those? Oh yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, and essentially, the the idea was to create um, an exercise class where people would be on their bikes on trainers. And a trainer is something you put your bike on and you can ride your bike indoors. And you can get a really high-quality workout because you can do interval training. So what I was able to do is to create a series of these workouts and uh, on VHS. And then we went to DVD when DVDs came out and then ultimately to uh, downloadable and streamable content. But I was able to create a series, and I targeted the competitive athlete, the cyclist, the triathlete, those people who want to train for performance. And uh, early in the day, I was able to set up a distribution process. I had international distributors. I had most of the top retailers throughout the United States and, wow. and I mean, bike shops um, would carry my VHS and my DVDs in their stores. And uh, we also did mail order at the time, too. And that series grew. And at, at, uh, at one point, I had over 80 titles. And um, it, it kind of it, it's the predecessor to what we know today as virtual training. Hmm. And obviously, everyone's heard of Peloton bikes and some of the other yeah. products out there. But this was sort of the old school methodology of what you see today in the technology age. Hmm. Yeah, well, you're really the uh, the start of all of that when you look back at it. So you went on to open two triathlon retail stores at a health club, of all things, in the Mid-Atlantic region. So, so where was that in the Mid-Atlantic? I was in the Maryland region, uh, Baltimore, North Baltimore area, and also one of my stores was in Northern Virginia near Dallas Airport. And why a health club? Was that an automatic follow-on, do you think? Yeah, it was just a dream of mine, you know, one of those boxes to check. It was more like a training studio. I was also dabbling in commercial real estate at the time, and I bought uh, some uh, office condominiums in an office building, and I wanted to put my own... um, fitness studio in there. So it was around 5,000 square feet of space that I owned. And it was nice. It was a combination of equipment. We did um, metabolic testing. Mm. We had a group fitness room. Uh, It was a really nice location where we did both private and semi-private training. So uh, these businesses uh, did so well that you actually were acquired by a uh, publicly traded national health club brand, I think, back in 2008. But you uh, you stayed with the organization, one of those deals, is that right? Right, right. Now, that was a great opportunity for me. I'd moved out to Tucson around that same time. 
and I was approached by this large health club company. I really believed in their vision. I believed in their brand. Um, I believed in their mission. And it just made really, really good sense. And I'm all around or all about personal growth. Hmm. And not that, not that I, I was not dissatisfied where I was in my own professional career. I was uh, doing very well and very happy with everything. But I, I always like to push myself and take it to the next level. So I Fine. decided to join corporate America. <laughs> well, you did that indeed, but uh, you went on to run the endurance uh, sports training division. This, um, this had you overseeing a team of what, 400 people nationwide. Yeah, we had about, uh, at the time we grew to around 135 or so clubs before I left. And, uh, we had, um, in, we had cycling, we had, uh, running and cycling programs and triathlon programs in many of our clubs. And my job was to support the development of that program, support the development of our coaches, casting, recruiting, management, leadership, all those types of things with our clubs nationwide. All right. So welcome to corporate America. (laughs) Now, how did you find that compared to working on your own? (laughs) Well, the company culture was great. So I will say I learned a lot. It was a great opportunity and experience for me to develop my own leadership skills and better understand how large companies work. So I would never trade that for a million years. It was it was a great experience. Right. But at the same time, my own entrepreneurial, um, I guess, focus was a little bit squashed. When you're in a big company, you can't do everything you want to do. And for 17 years or 16 years or so prior, you know, I was running my own show. So it was a different feeling. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, it would be. Yeah. yeah, it's often not the case, you know, for a lot of us who have worked alone, built businesses, then you end up in corporate and uh, you can't, you know, flex your wings. And if you open up your mouth too much, you're in trouble. So it is a challenge in its own right. It's a hell of a thing to learn, I, I believe, anyway. Um, but uh, you enjoyed working for someone again and you had the freedom, really, to do the role that you wanted to do. Was that to end up very successful, Yes. It was. It was a successful endeavor for me. It was a decade of learning and personal growth and professional growth. And uh, again, every experience leads to who you become. So it was a great thing for me. Uh, You're listening to Tucson Means Business with uh, Mark Bishop here on Tucson Business Radio X, where we feature wonderful, wonderful people in our world of business. Let me ask you, Troy Jacobson, did this work ethic and your knowledge of small business and uh, the experiences that went along with that. Do you think that that led you into executive coaching uh, today? It absolutely did. Uh, in my, I call this my third career. Uh, I decided to move into the world of executive coaching and leadership training and management consulting, uh, leveraging my small business background Um, having been a founder and also running several small businesses from service to retail and then getting involved in a, with a large public company as a, uh, senior level manager, national manager, it just made sense to leverage that knowledge base and to help other companies grow and help other leaders make better decisions. Well, after almost 11 years uh, in that role and leveraging your experience as a small business owner and corporate leader, uh, you're now offering your expertise to small uh, to mid-sized business owners and CEOs as an executive coach and consultant as a Vistage chair. 
and certified management consultant with the Predictive Index. Okay, so we're going to find out all about that and what's involved when we come back from this break. And basically, I would normally go to a break with this, but today I'm going to do it live because what we're talking about for the 49ers Golf and Country Club is the fact that, you know, uh, like another restaurant, the Rincon Mountain Grill, that's fabulous there, of course, normal times, open and so on, but naturally closed right now uh, due to our uh, pandemic. But you can still order and uh, you can ring up and order and there's, uh, you know, a wonderful service there. Phone ordering 749-4925, and it's extension 2. Or you can email order, look at the menu, go online, have a look at the menu, email order on Rincon Mountain MTN Grill, uh, the 49ercc.com. All right, so you can have a good look, good squeeze of the menu, have a look, see what's going on there and what they're offering on the day maybe. Naturally, things are a little bit uh, limited because of. So uh, you can have that and pick up, well, they'll give you the time. They'll even... Uh, send you an email, okay, come and pick it up. And, um, you know, the club would like to thank you for your support, ongoing support while this is going on. They're still selling six packs of beer and bottles of wine to go, all righty, so you pick it up and go. So uh, keep them in mind, Rincon Mountain Girls, still great food, and you can still get a game of golf there, by the way. Just the gym's closed, everything else, but uh, you can. And, of course, stick to the 10 feet away and masks and so on. All right, um, Troy Jacobson is my guest, special guest. I touched on the fact that uh, he's an executive coach and consultant as a Vistage chair. What on earth is a Vistage chair? And a certified management consultant with the Predictive Index. All right, Troy, away you go. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Vistage is a CEO peer advisory board group, one of the, if not the leader internationally in that category. Uh, we have over 21,000 members around the world. Um, Vistage members are owners, CEOs of companies, typically with annual revenues of $1 million up to a billion dollars in mm. revenue. Mm. And we have a few different chapters here in the Tucson market, uh, several more up in the Phoenix market. Um, and as a chair, my job is to build my group, find executives and business owners in the market who are interested in getting peer advisory or being part of a peer advisory group where they get feedback and support from other business owners, uh, as well as interested in the executive coaching um, opportunity, which means basically helping the leaders figure out their problems and concerns and help them make better decisions. So we have several groups in this market, and it's just a a great, especially now, that collaboration, that sharing of ideas and best practices and understanding better what's going on out there in the COVID-19 environment. Mm -hmm. um, It's been really valuable to all of my members. Well, over my career, I've been uh, and am currently uh, a member of Chambers. But as uh, as uh, you know, there are different service uh, groups and industries within a city. And throughout my life, I've been everything from Kiwanis to Chamber of Commerce through to, you know, uh, you name it. But never a Vistage scenario. What goes on? Give us an example of, of a, a typical Vistage uh, meeting or gathering. Sure. 
So we meet once a month. Um, obviously, right now, things are a little bit atypical because mm. of COVID, COVID-19. Mm. So we're leveraging video calls more frequently. In fact, we have a, a weekly CEO huddle where we get together for an hour to two hours on a weekly basis. But then we have a set meeting each month where we meet for either half a day or a full day. Um, typically, when when we're not under quarantine, we would meet in person mm-hmm. and we would meet at one of the members physical location. So that member is the host member and they have a chance to not only showcase their facility, um, but also present, talk about their business and so forth. Uh, but a typical meeting is uh, we, we, we do what's known as an executive session. We get really deep into the issues. Meetings are very exclusive. You have to be a member of that group. Um, and to become a member, it's it's a selection process. It's not as if you just go and join. You have to be selected. Um, and I, I'm not, I, I would say the word, I don't know if the word vetted is right, but you need to be selected and make sure that you're a good fit for the group okay. um, All right. in terms of your goals and, and objectives and, and so forth. Um, so the executive session is really valuable. We also have speakers come in. We have speakers on relevant business topics, and these are Vistage-approved speakers. They're some of the best in the business, and they'll come in and they'll do workshops for the group. Um, so it's a very comprehensive program where not only do you get incredible business-related information and leadership skills, but you also get to share your problems and concerns and get the other members to lean in and give you feedback and help you make better decisions as a business owner. But are we talking about, Troy, their personal concerns and issues and frustrations as, you know, an executive leader in a business environment, or are we talking about uh, uh, strictly business? No, it's a little bit of both, to be honest, because a lot of your personal life impacts the decisions you make in your professional life. So it becomes uh, very personal and every, and Vistage members become very close to each other um, because of that. So it, yes, it's a, it's a, a fantastic program for people that are typically, they feel isolated at the top. Their decisions are made usually on their own mm-hmm. and they don't get a lot of feedback from people they trust. And this is an opportunity for them to actually get feedback from other people who've probably been there mm-hmm. um, or, or are, as smart as they are and can help them make really smart decisions. Well, I can relate to that as a small business, you know, uh, you can't get much smaller than a one man band and it can get very lonely. <laughs> There's not even a pub you can go to, to have a drink with mates or anything, but the, uh, you know, it's a great idea. Are we talking top level CEOs only is, uh, you know, anybody below that, uh, not allowed, so to speak, or how does it work? What, uh, what's across the board, you know? Yeah, that's a great question. Vistage actually does offer um, a, a, a category, key groups. Uh, it's called a key group, which are usually director level and above people of larger companies that can participate in the key groups. But the typical Vistage member is a uh, CEO or founder of a, of a business and depends on the size. But typically, companies have a minimum threshold of $1 million a year in annual revenue. Mm-hmm. Uh, and up from there. So it really depends on the, the makeup of the group. Hmm. But um, the, the key defining factor are the values that each member brings to the group. And for my group, I look for business owners and CEOs that are willing to learn. Uh, they're vulnerable. 
Um, they want to get feedback from other people, but they also want to give feedback. They want to contribute to the success of others in the group. Um, and those are really important value systems. And then the final part for me is I want people that want the community as a whole to grow Tucson um, community, because if they are more effective as business owners and business leaders, they're going to impact the community uh, in a better way. They're going to hire more people. They're going to raise salaries. They're going to instill leadership education in their own staff. And that's a really important uh, element for me as well. Well, it uh, it does sound interesting and uh, very challenging, too. I mean, the Jacobson Coaching Group delivers executive coaching, leadership training workshops, and management consulting services for uh, small to mid-sized businesses in Tucson. Now, that's that side of the business. But when it comes to the Vistage Chair, as you are called, that's the uh, CEOs and companies doing a million or more and uh, – that other criteria and vetting. Yeah, it's not snobbish. It's a matter of whether you can contribute and do the right thing. You know, isn't it more than anything? Correct. Yep. To be able to do all of that. When did it start? What's the history of Vistage? Vistage was, has been around for a while, actually. It's been around for almost 60 years and it was developed in Milwaukee, the Milwaukee area, Milwaukee, Wisconsin area. And I believe it also um, has roots in Canada. It was called Tech up in Canada. Hmm. And it's just, it, it, it's a really strong international community of chairs, um, folks in my role. And most chairs are qualified uh, because of their history in business. Uh, most of my colleagues are former CEOs themselves, and they bring that element of expertise and passion for helping other people to their job as a chair. Now, let me ask you this. I gather that it's current working CEOs at people in that line of business. We're not talking about retired, are we, or retirees now? No, actually, you're probably talking mostly about people that are retired from their former career. Really? And, hmm. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Because being a chair is it, – it, it depends on how you want to look at it, but for most – Vistage chairs, it's, if it's not a full-time job, it's almost a full-time job. I was going to say, I can't see this being a part-time gig, quite frankly, because you have to no. find the people too, don't you, the participants? Oh, yes, yes. You have to, uh, to be proactive and reach out to a candidate, member candidates and to see if they're in the right space to want to become a member. Um, so that's a part of the, the business development side of it. But then once you have a member – you are focused and it needs to be in your heart. Like you have to be a coach at heart to want to want to be a business chair. You want to have, you have to be available and want to help them grow. That's your job. It's not about you. It's about your member. Right. So it, it takes time, takes emotional energy. Um, it, you need to be an educator. I'm always trying to educate my team or my group, um, my members on leadership attributes, ways to build their business COVID-19, we are always sharing information about the CARES Act, PPP, all these different, hmm. and everyone's, so it, yes, it, it, it's, a, it's a full-time gig. Well, that sounds uh, exciting, really, and challenging for you, and I think you'll do exceptionally well out of it. Overall, what we classify executive coaching, right? Um, what do you, uh, how do you define executive coaching? 
executive coaching to me is working with people that are already high level performers and helping them go to the next level. Um, many executives in my experience are people that got to where they are in their professional lives because they're really effective, but there's some blind spots and they don't always see their blind spots. So it's my job as their executive coach to help them gain a better awareness around where their weaknesses are and to help them shore up those weaknesses. There's also an accountability component. A lot of really successful people don't need to be accountable to anybody. <laughs> well, with the exception of their spouse, perhaps, um, or, or their board of directors, maybe, or their shareholders. Mm -hmm. But rarely do they need to be accountable to others. And even people reporting to them, you know, if you have a C-suite, your COO, he's going to, he or she, they'll report to you, but they might not call you out when you're not doing the job. My job is to make sure that my CEOs and business owners are doing the right thing, making the right decisions. And I do something called eat the frog activities, doing the things that they don't want to do, but they know they have to, <laughs> to the forward. Right. Is that an old expression that uh, comes from somewhere or so did you just make that up? Eat the frog. I can't, I cannot take credit for that. I don't know where it came from, but I cannot take credit for <laughs> that. Well, I was fortunate to interview uh, the owner and founder of Samuel Adams yesterday, uh, Jim Cook. And, you know, he started on his kitchen table, uh, all on his Pat Malone, and he grew from there. And, I mean, uh, here he is today handing out money with a special, you know, to help out restaurants and uh, and people who have worked in the hospitality industry who are out of work at the moment. He's gone to 20 states across America giving out a 1,000 a head. Uh, and if that's not good leadership, I don't know what is, you know. That's amazing. What is the value of CEO peer advisory programs? Do you really think, other than what you've mentioned, you take the likes of a Vistage compared to other uh, groups to belong to, so to speak, you know, like, like chamber membership as an example. What's, what's the real value of this? Well, the real the value is, of course, having other people at the table who can lean in on your issues and concerns and give feedback. Um, no decisions. Well, decisions are better made when several people give you perspective from their points of view. And one thing unique about Vistage is in our groups, we don't we only have one person from each industry representing a seat at the table. So it's not like a trade industry group where everybody's in the same business. So you get very unique perspectives from different industry points of view, which is really valuable because it helps you grow as a leader. Mm. So I think that that's the main thing. But the other differentiation between Vistage and maybe other groups, and honestly, I'm, I don't know a lot about other groups, so I, I can't really speak to them. But I can just tell you with our Vistage groups, we develop very close personal relationships. Um, it's not just high level. They become more personal and we're able to share again, personal things and business things and P and L's. And <clears throat> that's the idea behind it. So when you become a Vistage member, mm -hmm. you actually sign an agreement where everything is that's said in the meeting is strictly confidential. Ah, we've got a Vegas, have we? What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. Exactly. But one of our yeah. core values is trust. 
So that's a big part of Vistic. Yeah, no, I can see that's an excellent thing because uh, you do sign off on it too. That's interesting because you, you want to be able to fear, I would imagine, by gee, if you're going to open up, you want to know it's trusting and you want to know that it's not going to be blabbed all over town. Uh, you, you know, you might be talking about an issue of a marriage that uh, might be struggling just at that moment. It's affecting your work. Uh, you don't know how to get around it, maybe at a handle at all. And by the sounds of things, when you've got others who have been through it, uh, who can share it with you, uh, other people in high executive positions who can talk th- this sort of stuff out with you, um, yeah, you want it private. You want it kept confidential, don't you? Absolutely. And that's the power of the peer group. When you have that sort of trust developed and people feel open and vulnerable to share, they're going to get more out of it. And so is everybody else in the group. Mm. An obvious question I would ask you on the Vistage Group uh, scenario, Troy, is it exclusive to one vertical of business or you're not likely to have more than one of the same, are you, at any particular meeting or how does that work? No, again, we look for um, different verticals, different industries in our groups. So in my job as a chair, when I'm looking for members, member candidates, I look for diverse um, diverse industry so we can have those diverse perspectives sitting around the table hmm. yeah I think that's probably what is uh, what do you call talent optimization is it what I think it is could be I don't know what you, I don't know what you're thinking it is but <laughs> well I would think that it's um, hmm, how do I express it um, being able to find a way for one to be at their best performance, be their true self, but to be able to come out of themselves to to give more to their role, perhaps. Correct. Yep. You just the nose. I think you could have written that copy. <laughs> well, it's pretty straightforward, isn't it? Talent optimization. I guess I'm looking for another angle on it from a chair. You know. Yeah. So that's a different part of my practice. That's my. Um, more management consulting side of the practice uh, with the predictive index, which is a leader in the world of behavioral and cognitive assessments. Um, And essentially talent optimization is just that it's the idea is to use people data to help get, help your employees um, optimize their productivity and their engagement Mm. so that they are more productive in their, in their space, in their job, and, ob- and obviously contribute more to their role and to the company. So that's what the predictive index is all about, talent optimization. Predictive index. So uh, you're here in Tucson, and um, did you say you had three groups going in Tucson right now? No, I have one group. There are other chairs in this market. So roughly right now there are three Vistage groups um, running right now in the Tucson market. And that's uh, nowhere near too many, is it? I mean, you've got over, what, 50,000 businesses in our region alone, um, and there's plenty of uh, verticals, I guess, to go around. Certainly, yes. We we operate on the concept of abundance and abundance mentality. So um, as chairs, we collaborate, work with each other, and try to help each other uh, build our respective groups. Okay, well, um, everybody's on LinkedIn these days, so you can uh, have a look at you at linkedin.com slash in slash Troy K. Jacobson. Is that correct? There's a K in there. That's correct. Troy K. Jacobson. And what else have we got? Of course, the website, 
the uh, good old reliable site is www.troy.jacobson, J-A-C-O-B-S-O-N. I know you're not idiots, but a lot of people like things spelt out with my accent, so I'm being super careful. <laughs> not you, <laughs> listeners. Uh, com. And uh, you can learn a lot about him there and read a lot about him, get a quiz. And, of course, uh, he's going to be on my site, Tucson Business Radio X, with uh, his photograph and his bio and all of it there. So, And you can hear this uh, anytime you want to. It stays forever and, of course, goes out on all the podcast uh, platforms uh, across the globe. So uh, hopefully, oh, any message you'd like to give, buddy, before we wrap up in reference to getting some new members for Vistage here for your chair? Well, I, I guess I would just encourage anybody listening um, to this podcast who has ever thought about getting involved in a peer group, whether it's mine or someone else's, the, the value of having others um, around the boardroom table who can help you make better decisions relative to your business. And also the value of executive coaching and working with a trusted advisor um, who you can meet with on a regular basis and sit down for an hour and talk about things that are bothering you, but also things that need to happen and to have someone to hold you accountable, someone who really cares, who's in your corner and can hold you accountable and um, make your business move forward. Yeah, I think that's a very big thing, being held accountable. Uh, and, you know, I've had CEO roles in my past, and it's all very well being accountable to a board. But being accountable to yourself sometimes, is that's a bigger challenge. Well, Troy, it's been fascinating speaking with you. I wish you all the best of the world, best of luck in uh, your chair, the Vistage chair that you're building in Tucson of the good work I know you're going to be doing for a lot of our leaders in the community. And, of course, I agree with you. Happy leaders, happy businesses, more jobs, better all around, yes? Yes, sir, absolutely. And, Mark, thank you very much for uh, having me on your show. You're most welcome. Thanks for taking the time out. Ladies and gentlemen, Troy Jacobson, uh, you'll hear about it, Vistage. You might want to tell Dad, maybe. You might want to tell your uncle. Maybe you want to tell your husband. Maybe that can help, huh? You never know. Check it out. Go to TroyJacobson.com. Find out about Vistage. And when it comes to your business, you may be a small business like me right now. You know, he coaches all of that too, so don't think it's all la-di-da stuff. Okay? Troy Jacobson. You heard him right here. Here on the Mark Bishop Show on Tucson Business Radio X. Thank you for joining me.